Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty here on a Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743 if you'd like to call in. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. been getting a lot of questions in about a variety of agronomic topics. Before we go there, though, I, I just want to really stress to you, please be safe during harvest season. And also, if you are a non-farmer, please be just a little bit patient with us as farmers because we operate a lot of equipment that isn't going to go 60 miles an hour down the road. But very often, we are only traveling a short distance. So, yes, you might have to sit behind us a little bit, but please, uh, please be patient and be safe around farm equipment. Let me say, too, that if you are a non-farmer, you may not know what those little triangles on the backside of some of our vehicles on the farm mean. That's a slow-moving vehicle sign, and you're actually required to slow down to the speed of the vehicle before you go around it. So in other words, if I'm driving a tractor down the road at 15, you can't just fly past me at 60 miles an hour. You have to slow down to 15, then you can proceed around. And the reason why they do that and require that is just simply for safety. So one of our operators, this is probably, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, got hit driving a tractor, and I think it was a field cultivator, maybe a disc. Uh, he was going down the road, and he was about to, to turn in somewhere. But anyway, somebody came flying, and they estimated his speed at 80 miles an hour in a 55, by the way. And they said how they estimated it is they saw the skid marks for literally like 200 feet. It was crazy. Now, fortunately, our person didn't get hurt at all. And the driver of the car, I don't remember if it was a car or pickup, barely got injured. So it all ended up turning out not too bad. But the point is you got to slow down to whatever that slow-moving vehicle is going before you proceed around. The other thing that I didn't even realize when I was young and on the farm, I started driving a tractor once down the road, and I started driving on the shoulder. And my dad goes, absolutely do not do that. If you go over on the shoulder, you have given up your right to the road, and now any accident's your fault. He said, you have to drive in your lane with your tractor or whatever slow-moving vehicle you have. So that's the reason why I'm talking about this today, just so you understand that we as farmers are supposed to be driving down the regular highway, and if we are moving slow, anyone who's going to go around us and pass us is supposed to slow down to our speed first and then proceed around. So anyway, again, please be safe if you're a farmer out there during harvest. Please be safe if you are a non-farmer, or maybe if you are a farmer and you're just driving around the country uh, near other farmers. So road safety is unbelievably important, especially at this time of year. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! Our first question comes from Scott. He says, hi, guys. I love the show. I've learned a lot since finding your podcast about 18 months ago. I farm in Australia and grow a lot of sweet corn. What I plant in the spring is yielding quite good, about 40,000 cobs per hectare from a planting rate of 60,000. What I plant late in the summer and into autumn 
my yields drop a lot, by half sometimes. Now my fertility is the same, so I'm wondering, as the days get shorter and colder, am I not getting enough sunlight for it to grow properly? Should I drop my population to get more sun through the crop canopy? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, Scott, look, it's exactly the same thing here. So if I plant early in the spring, I get high yields. If I plant in the middle of the summer, I get low yields. I don't know exactly why that is. Uh, It could be something to do with the sun, something to do with moisture. All I know is early planting always seems to pay, or I shouldn't say always, almost always seems to pay. So what would I do if I was in your situation and my yields are half as I'm planting later? Well, if you have to plant later, then I would just say, yes, I'm probably going to cut my population a little bit. I'm going to most likely lower my fertility a little bit, and I'm just going to change my expectations. But to think that lowering the population or you know doing any of these other things is going to help my yield, it's probably not going to work. So I'm just saying it, it's kind of like on our farm where we got some great ground and we have some sand that's non-irrigated and I can't get irrigation to it. So in those cases, I just expect a little bit less. And as long as I reduce my costs a little, then it's really not so bad. So no, I wish I had some great answer for you to boost your yields when you plant late, but there's just nothing much that I can tell you. All right, next one here is from William. He says, hi, I farm in the fairly arid northern plains of the United States, and I am looking at applying the pre-emerge herbicide Spartan, or the the active ingredient is sulfentrazone, to dry beans, he says. I've heard the importance of maintaining a perfect chemical barrier, and I worry that barrier will be interrupted by a tillage application. Should I apply this product with or without incorporation? William, I would say that most manufacturers selling products similar to Spartan are going to tell you don't incorporate, and the reason why is because they worry you're going to bury it. For me, though, I actually prefer incorporation, and the reason why is this. If you don't get much rainfall then and you lay your herbicide on the surface of the soil, it may not get down to where you need it to be and and control those weeds pre-emerge. Plus, it's going to require more rainfall because now think about it. you got to get the herbicide moved down into the root or shoot zone where that weed is germinating. Plus, you have to have enough moisture to get it into the weed. Whereas if I lightly incorporate, and I'm saying lightly, you know, get it an inch or two deep, then I've already got it in the right place. I just need a little moisture to get it into that that weed. So no, typically we do see where light incorporation actually helps, especially in dry years. Now, if you have plenty of rainfall, it's a different story. But you just said you're in a fairly arid region, so that would be my choice is I would lightly incorporate it. Again, you don't have to, but I'm just saying it will require just a little bit le- little bit less rain to get activated. So don't worry about it as long as you lightly incorporate. We often say, like let's say, for example, you're using a field cultivator, go seven or eight miles an hour. A lot of guys go, whoa, I can't go that fast. And I say, well, then you're running too deep. you got to go really shallow. And if you need to cover the wheel tracks, just use some extensions to lower your shanks or sweeps right there behind the wheel so the rest of the machine can run high. Well, stay tuned. We are going to get to your phone calls right after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, it's Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to call in, that's what Carl did from down in Texas. Carl, how are you today? Oh, I'm all right, I guess. Hey, I heard, uh, and I'm sorry to hear about this, that your crop was terrible. Tell us just a little bit about what happened during your growing season this year. Well, the corn was uh, probably the worst crop in 40 years. And... Uh, it's too much rain in the spring and just flooded, 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 flooded and got some that was late planted, even though it was within the insurance window, which ends the 15th of April. But every time I planted in April, it, it is crap and it did it again, but you know, I had to plant it. So, you know, uh, but in April we got like six inches of rain. March we got four, which hurt us trying to get it planted in March and then we got yep. six in April and we got 11 in May almost 12 inches in May and that's it stayed wet so long that you couldn't get the herbicides on at the right time you couldn't get the side dressing really done at the right time and then you left ruts in the fields and it stunted the corn it just messed it up I guess it messed up the timing of the pollen or something, but it, normally we get pollinate in May, and when we get just right at 12 inches, it washed a lot of the pollen just washed off, I guess. Wow. And uh, then some of it didn't, some of the stalks didn't even have ears on them. Yeah, that's too bad. So how about any of your other crops that you had down there? Was everything that bad, or were some other crops much better? The soybeans are actually better than we've had in, uh, I don't know, 15 years or more, but still you're just talking 35 to 40 bushel beans. So 
uh, we've had issues with the with the beans not making very good. But this year they did, and because we had 6.7 inches of rain in July, and that the the beans handled the rain, all that water better than the corn. And then we got some rain in July. Actually, got some in June, but the rain in July is what helped make our beans. I was just figuring, since we just got done combining beans yesterday, um, I was figuring some yield, and I had two farms at 39, and the rest of them are below. And uh, but all the high spots in the fields where the beans were, they'd make 60, 70 bushel, and then you get just just off that high spot, and then it just drops. No. So, no. so Carl, how often does this happen where you're getting, not this kind of rain, but I, I mean a fair amount of rain so the low grounds are worse than the high grounds? Um, not real often. I mean, this year was exceptional rain again for the three years in a row. Yep. And, uh, but it just, Normally, if it's just a little bit lower and you don't get the, if you can get that water to sit like on flat ground, that water will stay with you longer. Yep. You know, so, but I say that a lot of years, the ground that's just a little bit higher will make more, but the low ground won't make, it'll make less, but not that much less. Sure. Yep. So I'm yep. Yeah, we've and, had. Uh, so our biggest problem is, is. Has been last three years too much rain. Yeah, yeah. Twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen were the two wettest years we've ever had, and that's where I mean, where where we had tile in, it really paid. That drain tile was just a lifesaver for us. But uh, anything else? Any other crops that you were raising this year other than corn and beans? Well, we had wheat, and wheat was about ten bushel less than what we thought we was going to make. We had some late freeze which hurt us, and then we had, again, too much water, and uh, it took the top out of the wheat crop. And uh, But the corn was the biggest thing. Everybody was counting on a decent corn crop. Most, we had decent prices going in. Right. And uh, we was fixing, thinking that this year is going to heal some wounds. Well, right. it just made bigger ones mostly. Well, hey, Carl. I've never seen corn not put an ear on yeah can you explain that uh well unfortunately we have seen corn not put an ear on usually up here it's because of drought so in your area yeah it could be excess moisture it could be lack of fertility like you said you weren't able to time that nitrogen right i mean maybe a lot of this nitrogen and other nutrients leached out of the soil because you had excess rain so what what we always used to have to do is cut our populations so I mean, that would be my, my first thought is maybe the population just happened to be a little high for the particular year. And then there are some varieties that are just more prone to that than others as well. But I mean, nobody well, can plan for, you know, the wettest year you've ever had or anything like that. It's tough. Well, all over Northeast Texas, I'm talking about 150 miles radius where I'm at. We had, everybody had the same issues. It didn't matter what corn you planted. Yeah. No, it was a tough year, but hey, Carl, uh, hang in there. I know we've gone through some tough years too. Hopefully next year's a lot better for you. So, and uh, we we certainly want to wish you the best of luck and thanks thanks a lot for calling in today. We appreciate it. Yep. All right. Thanks for letting me do it. You bet. Thanks, Carl. 
All right, let's go next to Jed out in Michigan. Jed, how are things going out in Michigan today? Well, it's been a heck of a year, but after listening to Carl, I think I better not complain. <laughs> Somebody always has it worse, you know, and even for Carl, I, I, I mean, I absolutely feel for him, but he did mention prices were a lot better and we were hoping, you know, heal a lot of wounds. Well, at least the prices were better. Hopefully guys have crop insurance and things like that. So, you know, it, it is hard to stay positive sometimes when you're on the farm. So, so how are things over at your farm? Well, we, I guess we'll start out with our, our white wheat. We had seven and a half inches of rain in June, which going back as far as they have records in West Michigan, we've never had that kind of an event before. And all of our white wheat yielded fantastic. We set record okay. yields, and we also had half our wheat rejected for falling number. Wait, you had half it rejected for what? For the falling numbers. So with the white wheat in this area going to Miller's, the Millers instituted falling number tests. And if your wheat didn't meet a certain number, which was sometimes arbitrary, it was rejected. And it went to the, the ground for feed at a 2 or $3 discount. Yeah, there are so many stories over the years about grain getting rejected at elevators. I don't care if we're talking corn, soybeans, wheat, you name the crop. Guys hold on to it for a year, and then the next year they sell it, and, oh, I guess it worked out just fine. So that, that, that it's... It's unfortunate, but yes, we've had to deal with that exact thing that you're talking about, just not in uh, in white wheat or anything. Uh, I heard you had some tar spot in corn, too. That's been a real problem over in Michigan and Wisconsin the last couple of years. Tell us about that. Well, just to the south of us, uh, towards Lansing, towards the capital, they're harvesting corn right now. And the reason they're harvesting it is because it's 40-40. It's, it's 40 bushel an acre and 40 test weight. Mm. Um, it's just absolutely devastated from tar spot. And anybody that didn't spray... Uh, fungicide in a timely manner and just really go overboard on it this year is absolutely hammered. Yeah, that's unfortunate. That kind of reminds me of when soybean rust first came out. Everybody was talking about that. Darren and I went down to Brazil and the guy said, oh, we figured this out already. We just spray three times. And granted, it costs us some money, <laughs> but we spray three times and we just do it based on the date and we just go. And he said, we have zero problem. I mean, several guys said, oh, we have zero problem now. And hopefully tar spot doesn't end up being that kind of thing. But like you say, I mean, there are some decent fungicides out there. So did you spray on your farm? We did. We didn't spray all of it. And I, now I wish we had. We sprayed about three quarters of our corn. Um, we sprayed it aerial, which added some application costs, but we were able to get over the, the crop at tasseling. I'm hoping next year we can get a little bit longer duration fungicide and we can cover it with our ground rigs. Yeah, uh, I am with you. It's always a lot easier when you can spray with ground rigs rather than having to call in a plane. Hey, uh, Jed, we want to thank you for calling in today. I apologize. I wish we had a little bit more time to talk. Maybe we'll catch you again sometime soon. We wish you the best of luck as you go through harvest season and stay safe out there. Great talking to you. You bet. Thanks, Jed. All right, it is a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show today. If you want to give us a call, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send me an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. 
Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Terry Wellman did from over in Minnesota. Terry's one of the stars of the Next Level Farming TV show. Terry, how are you doing today? I am doing good. It's getting busy here. It's soon time for harvest. The crops are coming along nicely. Uh, we're just trying to wrap up my bin site that has been delayed all summer from supply chain problems like everybody's experiencing. So it's coming down to the last wire. So it's what it is, right? It's, that's farming, I guess, in 2021. So this Next Level Farming TV show, season two, starts October 7th, and uh, it's on Thursday evenings on RFD TV. You're going to be one of the featured farmers that's on this Next Level TV show. Tell us just a little bit about how that experience has been going for you so far, Terry, with filming. Oh, it's been really cool. It's been uh, just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think um, 
it, you know, I was kind of apprehensive at first because you're like, you know, Hollywood, I'm in the Midwest, right? I'm far, far <laughs> from Hollywood, but it's really cool. Everybody from the film crew to Randy and David has made it really simple, really easy. You know, it's taken some time here and there, but uh, everybody's really courteous of your time and, and whatnot. So it's been fun. It's been an awesome experience. Great learning. Um, just being able to showcase some of the stuff we do, right? Where other parts of the country have much different growing conditions. So I think it'll be cool for people to see what it's like up in the northern tiers where we're dealing with, you know, frost and snow in spring to frost and snow in fall and, and just, you know, drought now this year. So it's just been a crazy gamut of the whole weather thing. But no, it's been an awesome opportunity. I'm looking forward for the season to get kicked off on TV here. You know, filming-wise, there's still a lot to do yet in the show, right? We got the whole harvest coming up yet. So while folks are watching the beginning part of this, we're still finishing up the the last part of the the season. So it's a cool thing. All right, you mentioned drought. Is there anything you've learned in particular this year coming out of the drought where you say, boy, in the future, I want to make sure I do this so my crop is more drought tolerant? Yeah, so the problem this year for us was just lack of rain, right? Like a lot of other places in in the Northern regions and Western regions here. But for me, I've had probably three or four hybrids that just didn't handle that well at all. So what happened now, we didn't, we missed some really crucial rains in early August where the crop just shut down because lack of water, right? Yeah. Well, now what happened, we've had two storms since then and our crop has fallen over. So now you got corn that's flat, some of it's broke off. It's one of those things where some of those hybrids just didn't have that tolerance where, you know, they're probably more the racehorse type where they cannibalized everything they had in the stock to try to make a good year. Well, what good is that year if it's laying flat on the ground, right? There's, there's no way I can get it. So I think hybrid selection, stock quality, stock strength, those stock ratings are really a pretty big deal when it comes to just oh, what's your year going to be like from the time you buy that stuff to basically 11 months later when you're combining it, you have no idea, right? So I, you really got to be mindful of the hybrids you're picking and it, that's probably the biggest lesson from this year. You yeah. know, and some of this stuff has really stood up very well to that, but not everyone does. Yeah. And the problem is no one can predict the weather. So no one knows what that year is going to bring. But let me ask you this real quick, Terry, how high are your potassium levels on the farm? In your yeah, that's test? my biggest problem, right? Where, yeah, on average, so off of a DTPA Midwest style test, you know, I'm in the two and a halves. So that's definitely my big problem. Um, you know, it doesn't help with fertilizer prices being so crazy this year, but it's one of those things where early on phosphates versus potash, potash was still a better buy. So my plan going into this fall for fertilizing for next year is a lot of my dollars went after the potash this year. And I'm just trying to be a little smarter with the phosphate dollars, just because why I'm sure I paid double for that, hoping that maybe in another year, those things will come back down. So that is my goal. My biggest problem on my farm is no doubt the, the potassium levels. One of the big- they're nowhere near where they should be. One of the know? biggest things we learned from Francis Childs, he was the world record corn producer for many years down in northeast Iowa. Darren went to his farm one year, and there was, uh, well, I'll, and I'll just say it, I guess it doesn't really matter. At the time, Pioneer had a couple of numbers that were great, high yielding, but they're falling all over the place. And all across Iowa, he was seeing all these numbers down. He gets to Francis's farm, and he asked Francis, well, hey, wait a second, you got a couple of signs. It's those same Pioneer numbers. So 
why, why is yours standing and everybody else's isn't? And he goes, Darren, let me show you my soil tests. And he just went on <laughs> to talk to Darren about how much that potassium is making a difference. That was something he stressed to both Darren and me over the years. And his levels were just off the charts. It was great. And Darren said the plants were planted at 44,000 plants per acre. And, I mean, so super high, way higher than anybody else was planting at the time, and they look like little trees. They, they're, they're, the stalks were so <laughs> great. But that was the whole thing that we kind of learned from Francis is no, since nobody can predict the weather and since nobody can pick the right variety for the year, we just thought, okay, we got to do everything we can to try to make everything stand rather than just the ones with the best ratings. But to your point, if you look at the soil test, so for anybody listening, you look at your soil test and you go, uh-oh, I'm also at two and a half percent base saturation k well now you know you are more at risk you can lessen the risk in the future at some point if you want to raise those k levels way up but in the short term i agree with you 100 percent, terry you got to try to pick varieties that are going to try to withstand that so uh how about any other big lessons that you learned coming out of this year anything else really stand out to you on the farm well i think a lot of it was nitrogen management with the drought this year the lack of rain i you know i honestly my irrigated ground we've irrigated more than we've gotten natural rainfall and we're still going to grow a decent crop you know we're hearing 20 percent off here in a lot of the neighborhoods i haven't been out to see what my stuff is yet like yet with the combine but i think nitrogen management um trying to be conscious of what rain you've got what rain you're getting and placement where that's placed is a big big deal right because if you don't have water flowing through your plant there is no way you're taking up nutrients if their roots aren't growing very well because they're not growing through moisture and and just a really happy soil environment you're not going to intercept that stuff so you got to really take advantage and maximize every opportunity that you get for rain and nutrient interception and all of that so just placement being mindful of all that is is probably the, the second big lesson that really has paid off where you're doing those things and trying to manage things as best as you can with your abilities that's the best you can do right after that it's just farming it's weather and that's your left to mother nature yep that's right so do you have anything that's ready for harvest right now we are very close. Like if my dryer was ready and, and cooking, I'd be in there, some of the corner ready, especially some of those hybrids where I'm afraid that as the, the days go along and, and we catch some more winds that they're going to really start snapping over. I'd have a bunch of corn out ready, but unfortunately my equipment's not ready for that. I figure I'm probably about a week away from some soybeans, maybe a little less. Sure. I've got some one six and one seven soybeans that, you know, we had a lot of heat and wind yesterday. We were like 90 degrees with 25, 30 mile an hour winds all day. That really put those beans along far so i suspect towards the middle to end of next week we'll have some beans that are probably about ready to go so i'm i'm you know i'm hopeful for those a lot of high management stuff i did on my farm this year we're going to find out if it paid off or not missing a lot of those late august rains really really hurt but i guess if i'm better than what the general neighborhood is then i'm i still still paid off i guess is my idea yeah, you know, we had, I'm wishing luck for everybody here, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Yeah, we had some late rains. I mean, like very late rains, very late August, early September, but we still had some beans that were grass green. So I'm hoping that those rains are enough to help those beans. And it was interesting. You talked about the weather yesterday. Yeah, we also had like 30 mile an hour winds or more along with 90 degrees. Well, then guess what happened last night? We got 73 mile an hour winds overnight.
night and uh, a <laughs> little storm. Uh, so, yeah. Now, again, I come back to the potassium thing. Our potassium's really paying off this year because everything held, believe it or not. There was a tree just up the road that just snapped off right in two halfway up. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's a miracle we got our corn and beans still standing. But anyway. Uh, hey, Terry, thanks a lot for calling in today. We really appreciate it and want to wish you the best of luck as you go through all the rest of that filming you got to do and certainly with your harvest over there. Stay safe this fall, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks. Have a great fall, everybody. Yep, thank you. All right, today is Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, our phone lines will be open, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So right after this break, we are going to talk just a little bit about turf grass and a couple of weeds that a farmer in Florida is having issues with. Now, you may not have these exact weeds, but you might have something similar. And so we're going to talk about how you can control weeds and actually even grass weeds in a grass like turf grass or your lawn right after this. Stay tuned. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Ag PhD has one mission give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. 
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. I, ju- I was just saying before the break, we were going to talk a little about turf grass weed control. Here's the question. This comes in from Danny from Florida. He says, hi, guys. I know you are up north in South Dakota, and we are here in the panhandle of Florida, but we need a little weed help. I have fought turf grass chamber bitter for 18 years by hand-pulling that weed in the hot months, and I've won. However, I got an all-new weed that surfaced. It's dove weed, and if not stopped, it will kill our turf grass in one season. Any suggestions on how to stop this weed? Many thanks. All right, so Danny, I would first say with this dove weed, uh, it is just an annual weed, a summer annual weed, but that doesn't really help you. We got a lot of tough annual weeds too, like I think about water hemp, kochia, palmer pigweed. So, you know, just because it's an annual doesn't mean that we're going to be able to eliminate it with no problem. But nevertheless, this is a grass and it is kind of tough to control. But here are your solutions. Mesotrione, that is the same active ingredient as what we find in Callisto that we use in our corn, for example. Um, And there are formulations for turf grass, but look up Mesotrione, and then you will be able to get this weed under control pre-emerge or post-emerge. Also, you could use sulfentrazone, uh, prodiamine. Uh, There are there are several that are going to be out there that will give you control pre and post. Uh, for just post, you know, there's nothing that's super great, but I would say this. North Carolina State University has some information out there on doveweed. If you want to read a little bit more, and for anybody listening, if you're trying to look up how to kill doveweed in turf grass, there you go. As far as that chamber bitter, that's a broadleaf weed. And so, I would just say this, you actually can get some control out of 2,4-D. Now, dicamba will work too. I just don't like using dicamba in turf grass or lawns typically. But I, I would say if you want to run with a high rate of something like Freelex, the new 2,4-D, uh, 2,4-D choline that doesn't have all the volatility of the old 2,4-D, that would be the direction that I would go rather than hand weeding it. But like you say, hopefully you've got that thing under control and you don't see a lot of chamber bitter after this. All right, next question. Doug from Illinois just called in and he said, why are corn ears more rubbery this fall, harder to shell than normal? Well, my assumption here is just all the stress that that corn was under this year. So in some cases, we had excessive rainfall, like what we were talking to Carl in Texas about. In other cases, we had excessive drought, like what we were facing on our farm. We had the wettest, I believe, I should say the driest 12-month period ever from basically the 4th of July last year to the 4th of July this year. It was unbelievably dry. But... We've gotten some late season rain, and so, you know, the plant was under stress, and then you're going to give it some rain, and now it's trying to recover. It just doesn't always go well. But 
a lot of the issues I still I'm going to come back to a lot of the issues are really fertility related. And so Doug, if you're if you're listening, I would just encourage you when you take some soil tests this fall, send them in to us and then we can take a look at and see if there is something that we see in your soil where we go, "Ooh, maybe this is a a real problem here." And now we could get this addressed and maybe we'll reduce the issue moving forward. But that, those are my first two thoughts. It's fertility, number one. But this year, because of all the stress, that's probably the next thing. All right. Next question here is from Matt. And he had sent us some soil tests. And let's see, what do I have here? Oh, so actually, well, he gave us some soil information just a few days ago, and Darren and I answered the question that he had. But anyway, he originally had sent in, he had tiled an area that's very high in sodium, like 7 to 12% sodium, magnesium 47 to 60%, and potassium 24 to 4.6% with calcium really low. So anyway, we answered his question, talked about it a little bit, but then he came back with this. He said, guys, thanks for the reply. As you can see, my sulfur levels are through the roof. And what I'm seeing here, he's got levels as high as 5,170 parts per million. <laughs> so think about that. Uh, we're, that, that, that. That's a lot. So we're talking over 10,000 pounds of sulfur. Let me, let me put that into terms that might you might understand the significance of this. That's over five tons of sulfur that he's got sitting out there in the top six inches of soil. Five tons of sulfur. Okay, so anyway, he says here, as you can see, my sulfur levels are through the roof. I ran the equation I learned at your soil meetings for calcium-based saturation with a goal of 65% calcium, and I believe it did it, right? It's calling for up to 15 tons of 20% lime. Is there a max amount that you apply and how do you apply that accurately and what do you use to apply it? We have manure spreaders up here, but I'd like to variable rate it to match my one acre grids. Pelleted gypsum and lime are the easy button with an air spreader, but are way too expensive to take on a project like this. So anyway, Matt, let me just first say, I don't know that I'm going to do a whole lot of anything in the beginning in some of these areas. And here's why I say this. Okay, let me just take, for example, that area where you have 5,170 parts per million of sulfur. In that spot, you have 7.6% base saturation sodium. You only have 31.6% calcium and 58.4% magnesium. But here's what hopefully is going to happen in your soil. That sulfur is going to be in the sulfate form. It's going to attach to sodium and to magnesium to form sodium sulfate and magnesium sulfate, and it's going to flush out of the ground with rainfall. Now, I wish it would be fast, but unfortunately, it's going to take time. But over the next 10 years, you're going to see those sodium and those magnesium levels continue to go down most likely because of that sulfur that you've got out there. Now, if you want to put some calcium out, I'm fine with that. But what we are typically saying is, just don't overdo it. In a lot of cases, we'll say, hey, maybe a ton of actual lime, or I should say actual calcium. 2,400 pounds often is kind of our limit, but let's just figure on the low side, a ton of actual lime. So let's see, if you said it was 
okay, you're saying 20% lime. Uh, let's say it was 20% calcium, just for example. If I said one ton of actual calcium and you've got some lime that's 20% calcium, that would be five tons. And that's probably what I would do just in those areas where I've got this calcium really, really low. It's a little hard to give you a great recommendation simply because you've got so much sulfur in some of these areas and we don't know exactly how long it's going to take to get everything flushed out. But I'm just trying to tell you and encourage you, hey, things are going to naturally start getting fixed in your soil because the magnesium is going to flush out, the sodium is going to flush out, you're going to leave calcium behind. So would I consider throwing some calcium out there? Yes, I certainly would. Just don't get super carried away. Don't invest crazy amounts of money in the beginning. Just do a little bit at a time. And also understand it takes about three years for most calcium to break down or most lime to break down. So give it a little bit of time. Don't do too much too quickly. All right. Next question here uh, is a really a comment on one of the farm basics that we did talking about ground sterilants and the comment, and I don't have a name, sorry. Uh, the comment was just great video. How far though, do you have to worry about sterilants leaching, ground sterilants leaching? Will they kill mature live oaks or pines? Yes, you do have to worry about ground sterilants killing trees. Granted, if the tree is enormous and you're only, only using a little bit of sterilant and there's not a lot of risk for it getting to that tree. You don't have to worry a tremendous amount, but nevertheless, you don't want to ding up your tree. So what we typically are telling people is however tall that tree is, you want to stay twice as far away with that with anything you're spraying that's got soil residual. And even further away, if let's say there's a slope, let's say there's a hillside that's leading down to it, with these ground sterilants, they don't leach in the soil probably as much as when dirt moves with erosion then the sterilant is that ground sterilant is in the dirt and then it will kill stuff going down the hill so there are two things that we're worried about here number one it's leaching downward which doesn't really concern me as much about the tree and i'm not that worried about that it leaching downward anyway what i do worry about is a little erosion and it carrying down the hill so just be a little bit careful that way and you should be fine stay tuned we'll be right back Farming is probably the most natural thing for a person to do. It taught me how to take pride in my work, how to put something ahead of myself, whether it was getting up early to feed the livestock or working late to bring in the harvest. Farming taught me to give it my best, no matter the job. My name is Tanner. I'm a farmer. I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. 
New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. Russ just emailed in asking, is there any benefit putting 11520 beside soybeans in ground while planting compared to broadcast? We are set up for banding, but might switch to broadcast. And how about help during drought with banding? All right, so Russ, I would say this. We like banding because you typically can get by with less fertilizer in the short term because more of that fertility gets used in year one as opposed to when you broadcast. When you broadcast, it's very common for a lot of the fertilizer to get used in future years rather than in this year. The next thing is when we talk about banding with the planter, though, I'm just a little bit concerned about where you're placing it with the planter. So if it's 2 by 2 or 3 by 3 or 4 by 4 or something like that, you know, it's probably not too bad as long as you don't way overdo it on rate. If you're putting it in furrow or really close to where that seed is, our concern is always salt. 1152O, like all fertilizer, has salt. And 1152O has a fair amount, plus the fact it's a dry fertilizer. So because of that, moisture is going to get pulled away from that seed so the fertilizer can break down, number one. And more moisture is going to get pulled away because it's salt. So... As long as you keep this away from the seed a little ways, I don't have a real big issue with it. We've done dry 11520 with the planter before we typically did it. It was uh, about a three inch, I think it was three inches over or so and four inches down, or maybe it was four inches over and three inches down. I can't remember from quite a few years ago when we used to do that, but I don't have a big problem with it. Just keep it away from the beans and you'll be fine. Now, if 
if we're talking about broadcast versus banding and it's ground you own and everything is really low, let's say that your phosphorus levels are 10 or 20 or 30 and you go, whoa, I'm just, I'm really low and I want to build stuff for the long term. You know, that's a little bit different. That's where we kind of like broadcast so it's even across the field if we're in a big build program. If we're just trying to feed this crop, then that's where we talk an awful lot more about banding. Great question. Oh, uh, he also asked about the help during drought with banding. Let me put it this way. If you're in a year where you don't have a lot of moisture, what are your odds that you're going to have as big a root mass? What are your odds that the fertility is going to be as available to the crop? It's going to be less and less. So yes, banding can help a little bit more in drought. I wouldn't say very significantly, but a little bit more. The bigger thing is this in drought. Just understand that if a crop starts to run short on any one nutrient, it's going to start pulling water in, even if it doesn't need the water. So my point is, you make your crop a water waster when you don't have the right amount and the right balance of fertility in the soil. So I'm glad you're asking about 1152-0, but I'd like to see your soil test, and I'd like to look at the complete program, because just as an example, you're, you're talking primarily phosphorus here. Well, if you don't have the right ratio of phosphorus to zinc, and if you don't have the right ratio of phosphorus to copper, you're going to make your crop a water waster. So I'd absolutely be looking at zinc and copper in correlation to what my phosphorus levels are, just as an example. Anyway, the, the fertility thing can seem a little bit complicated and confusing. Don't be overwhelmed. Just take it one step at a time. And I would encourage you, attend one of our Ag PhD soils clinics in the future. We talk about how to read a soil test from start to finish and how to fertilize your ground so you can have the best success year in and year out. And, and let me put this another way too, because I realize that on most farms, the first thought is often, I got to cut costs. What I want you to think about is this. If you know what fertility you need and you apply it correctly, then in effect, you can better invest your fertilizer dollars. So whatever dollars you spend, they're spent more wisely. So you can hopefully get a better return on investment. Anyway, great question. Thanks for that, Russ. Uh, all right, next question here. We got emailed in. And this is talking about phosphorus levels in the soil, and I apologize, I don't have a name on this one. But anyway, the question is this. It says, my question is, if I'm doing a phosphorus buildup on my soil, should I look at the Olsen test, the P1, that's the weak bray, or the P2 strong bray test? On my owned ground that has been under a build program, we begin with an Olsen level of 14, a P1 of 11, and a P2 of 68. And this is on 7.8 pH ground. After struggling with yields, I increased P and K to a level I think would allow good yields with a reasonable crop removal yearly fertility program in the future. Adding 100 pounds of actual P led to a year later, my Olsen test was 26, my P1 is 24, my P2 is 105. Should I be happy about this? It looks like 24% of the phosphorus applied went to the Olsen, the rest went to the P2. Will the P2 bray ever be available? Okay, so first of all, in high pH soil, we we know that the Olsen test is a little bit more accurate measurement of available phosphorus. Rather than using the P1 or weak bray test there, I'd use the Olsen test. Next, the P2, what that is, or strong bray, that's what's available today plus what hopefully is going to come available during the next growing season. So when you say, all right, I've got 
26 available today, but I got 105 that hopefully between today and the next growing season is going to come available. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Now, it all depends on what your yield goal is. And what he says here is his yield was around 180 bushel corn, which is a big improvement over the past. He also says his tissue samples this year on average were within 7% of the expected at 10 measurements, which improved about 15% over previous years. Broadcast, no-till, and continuous corn. All right. Here's one of my concerns when we start talking about no-till. How deep did you get that phosphorus? Because the rain isn't going to get it deep at all. If you broadcast it, it's going to probably be within an inch for years and years and years and years and years until it gets used up eventually. So my concern with that is if you don't have consistent moisture, so every week or two you're getting rain and keeping that top inch of soil wet, you're not going to get that phosphorus into the plant. So that means you'd have to have much higher levels. Now, if you get more phosphorus a little bit deeper into the ground, even two, three, four, six, eight, ten inches deep. I like getting mine a lot deeper just so I can lead more roots down into the soil and I have a better chance to keep that soil wetter longer. You know, now you don't necessarily have to have as much phosphorus out there. So here's what I'm saying. And I know I've been talking a lot about this. You know, we've, it's taken me five minutes to answer this question, but I would just say, no, I wouldn't be happy with that in part because you just told me it's broadcast and it's no-till. So that phosphorus isn't going anywhere. And you've got to have much higher levels if it's going to be that shallow. So personally, this is the reason why if I'm going to no-till, and we used to do a whole bunch of no-till, now we do mainly strip-till on those acres. And we also have some conventional till as well. But anyway, my point is I would go out there and plow or do some type of deep tillage once every 10 years or 15 years or whatever. Or I would try to figure out a way to inject some fertilizer, at least occasionally. So you don't have to do this all the time or anything else. But I am saying it's, it's going to be a little bit tougher for you to get as much in there as if I do the exact same application you're doing and I can put it a little bit deeper in the ground. So hopefully that helps. And we want to wish you the best of luck as you continue trying to build your phosphorus. That's something that we have been working on as well. Oh, when, when we talk about phosphorus, don't forget about your zinc and copper and the other things that tie in with phosphorus too. Uh, phosphorus is only one step or having good levels of phosphorus is only one step to higher yields. All right, last email for the day. This one's from Aaron out in Montana. He says, hi, guys. I really enjoy being able to listen to your radio show on my long drives between fields. Thanks for that. Like other areas, 2021 was a very dry year for growing crops in Montana. Some areas received as little as 2.8 inches of rain from January 1st through August 31st. Think about that. Uh, I, I complained about how dry we were. We weren't that dry. Anyway, he says here, spider mites were an issue in cornfields. Ligus bugs started to hit uh, canola fields. He says we've got a lot of, they have a lot of Roundup-resistant kochia and hoping to use more Sharpen as a pre-plant burndown in wheat fields. Yes, that will help a lot. Uh, for diseases, we saw heat stress cause some wheat heads to turn black or blue in a few areas. I have rarely seen that in my life, but he sent me some blue wheat heads. Uh, so, yeah, sorry to hear about that. Uh, in spring wheat, he said there was some take-all and 
Fusarium root rot on ground heavily irrigated. Not the best year either for lentils and peas. Uh, it's kind of difficult to harvest when these plants are nine inches tall. A few, few farmers are trying out camelina, and safflower harvest is going on right now, and winter wheat planting season is about to start as well. He also sent me pictures of uh, wheat stem sawfly, one of the toughest bugs that we have to fight. It's kind of like gall midge larvae in soybeans. And he sent me a picture of a stink bug. So, uh, yeah, I know. Been a tough year in a lot of places. Well, before we go, we just want to say thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.